0: Everything's fine? Yep, yeah, it's all good. Uh, so yeah. if, if you want to start by introducing yourself and uh, and talking about um, the book that you wrote, which I'll, I'll focus my questions on, uh, about the Cultural Revolution uh, and the Communization process in China.
1: Okay. Um, my name is Dong-Ping Han, and I teach uh, at Warren Wilson College, um, my research uh, was published as the unknown cultural revolution about about what happened during the Chinese cultural years in the rural area
0: okay perfect yeah so just to start on that note you you talk in your book uh, as you as you said in the title about the unknown cultural revolution uh, and just from reading reading excerpts and reading reviews as well uh, it's clear that there were a lot of things in the Cultural Revolution that are not widely known outside of China with respect to innovation. So one that you talk a bit about is, is education. Um, can you talk more about exactly the process of changing education and uh, under the Cultural Revolution
1: during China? Okay. Um, education in China, like in any other, uh, most other societies, uh, is a limit to the elites in the old days. Uh, when the communists came to power in 1949, uh, there were less than 10% uh, of the Chinese population who were literate. My parents never uh, went to school. My father learned how to read and write uh, in the uh, night school, when his factory offered. And my mom never learned how to write the read herself. And uh, the Communist Party, when they were fighting for power in China, in the 1930s, they already uh, declared, and they want to offer education to everybody in China. But when the Chinese Communist Party came to power in 1949, the educational policy, was uh, mostly controlled by the older elite from the older society. And they don't seem to be interested in expanding education to the farmers and the workers' children. So for more than 17 years, from 1949 to 1966, the 17 years uh, under the communist rule. But education didn't reach the countryside. So in my village and uh, most children were not able to attend school. Why? Because there were not enough uh, school space. So my village and the four other villages uh, shared one small primary school and they only have one class each year. So the majority of children were not able to go to school. And uh, during the cultural years, uh, farmers, workers, and uh, particularly the Red Guard, resented this unequal access to education. So this started, the the, Red Guard, mostly high school, middle school students, started the cultural revolution demanding reform uh in the educational system so as a result farmers were allowed to uh, build their own primary school and i mentioned in my book there were 1050 villages in my county so by the uh, during the current years every village set up one primary school all school aged children were able to attend this village primary school free. 100% attend this almost. I don't think anybody in my village or in the other village I knew uh, who are not in school, okay? The school hide, the, 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 the village hide their own teachers and the parents and teachers know each other and everybody know each other in a village in China. So everybody was able to attend primary school And on top of that, and uh, my county built 249 middle schools. Before the Cultural Revolution, there were about 750,000 people in my county, but there were only seven middle schools. It's almost impossible for farmers' children to go to middle school. Now with 249 middle schools, Almost everybody who graduated from village school were able to go to continue to go to the middle school. We joined a joint village school. So the middle school in my village uh, was set up with uh, six other villages. So, with this year, the middle school, but everybody who wants to go or graduate from village primary school were able to attend this uh, middle school. Before the Cultural Revolution, there was only one high school in my whole county. Uh, county to 750,000 people. And they each year, the only recruit, except about uh, 60 students. So it's very, very elitist, only Official children and some teachers' children and the rich people's children were able to attend this high school. For 17 years, the high school only produced uh, 1,500 high school graduates. And most of them went continue to go to college and to work for the government. So the village didn't have even one high school graduate for 17 years. So during the country years, the county built 89 high schools. So from one high school to 89 high school. And uh, by the time I went to high school in 1972, about uh, 70% of my middle school graduation, graduating class, were able to attend high school. By the time my younger sister, who graduated high uh, middle school the next year, 100% were able to attend the high school in my county. And uh, so basically during the country years, uh, we were able to send everybody to high school to receive a high school education, okay? That's what happened during the country years about the education youth passion.
0: Yeah, and, and kind of going off that, it it seems like when what you're describing, particularly with with Mao and Mao's policies, we're helping to empower people, helping to provide more education. Um, and also too, as you talk about throughout the, in the book, uh, kind of set the stage for the industrialization of rural areas. So yes. Can you talk more about that, about how this industrialization progressed after uh, the Cultural Revolution?
1: Okay. Uh, you know, the modern society need knowledge. Knowledge is power. And uh, education empowered Chinese uh, uh, farmers. And uh, in my village, we didn't have electricity when I was young and uh, farm farmers uh, had to uh, go to the rivers to fetch water. We have to push a stone mill to grind our grain. And uh, we didn't have electric light at night. But with the uh in 1966, for the first time, the college entry exam was suspended. So before the high school graduates uh, would attend, would leave the village to go to attend uh, college, but because the college exam was suspended. So the the two high school uh, students in my village uh, had to return to the village. And of course they were were the, the first two high school graduates in my village. And gradually we have more. And with these high school graduates in the village, and they began to wire the village with the electricity. So we started to have electric mill, and just one electric mill was able to grind all the grain for the whole village, liberating children and uh, grown-ups from the household chore of grant pushing the the, the, the stone mill, right? So a lot of labor was liberated from the traditional chores. We don't need to go to the rivers to fetch water, and we lay the pipes so we have running water to the village. Not to every household, but we have a few points in the village, and we can to fetch the, the, the running water and uh, make life much easier. And uh, because we had uh, educated people in the village, and we began to set up uh, a small industry project. and in the beginning, only a few people, five, six people, as more educated youth returned to the village. And about the time I graduated from uh, high school and uh, and returned to the village, my village has uh, about ten non farming uh, enterprise. And the biggest one was called uh, steel work factory. And there were 173 people working in that factory. And uh, we started from scratch. We didn't have much uh, equipment, but by the time I entered the factory, we have uh, three leads and we have uh, two planners and uh, two huge 16 press and several drills and a 30 electric welder and two gas welders so we were able to produce huge uh, number of products and uh, selling this and make money and the money come back improve the villagers love livelihood we were able to buy two tractors we were able to uh, not we didn't buy the, the the two pickup truck. We were able to assemble uh, two pickup trucks for the village from the factory. I was a village factory manager for for almost five years before I went to college. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Uh, I guess the next thing to ask about that—that that I'm curious. Uh, you talk a lot about the differences between. Mao's policies during the Cultural Revolution and the policies that came after with with Deng and with the repudiation of the Cultural Revolution, can you talk a little bit more about that? About what what changes after Mao uh, is out of power?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, Mao died in 1976. Uh, I want I talk about this a lot in my classes and uh, when the people invite me to talk about the Cultural Revolution, is the Cultural Revolution built a very very good. Rural community based on equality. And uh, you know, in you know, America, we talk about the community all the time. But I always tell my students what a community means. A community means we have shared objectives and we shared uh, interest. So that's exactly what China was like uh, during the cultural years. Everybody worked together. Everybody shared the outcome of their work equally. So in the world, for example, we have people working in the, in, the, in, the, in the field producing grain, and their grain was divided among the farmers, uh, 70% on the per capita basis. Right? Only 30% of the grain were distributed according to how much you worked. So everybody, whether you were able to work or not you will get enough to you will need, you will get your what you need to survive. Okay. So about the number of people who are working in the fields uh, become smaller, smaller because we were able to use machineries more and more in the during the current years. We have, as mentioned, we have two tractors, two pickup trucks, and we have a lot of other machineries, the planters, threshers, right, all this. So make life easier for farmers. And for income for the farmers also increased. My factory, the well factory I worked with, 173 other people, generated about 1 million Chinese Yuan each year. And uh, our income during the country years, in up to was equal to Chinese industrial workers the people who are are urban, right? Who were employed by state-owned enterprises. Our salary, our income is comparable to the urban area. You know, the the goal of a cultural was to reduce the gap between the workers and the farmers and between the urban and the rural area. So the idea to make Chinese society more equal. I think that objective is almost, was gradually accomplished during the current years. Okay, so we talked about communism in the the West. The most approach to communism in China was built on the local, building local community. And a shared work, shared profit, things like that. And uh, that's, uh, that's what Mao was trying to do during the country years. After Mao died, Deng Xiaoping came to power. And uh, Deng Xiaoping didn't, I don't think he was a communist in his heart. He didn't believe in common, uh, commonwealth, right? He believed in, allowing a small number of people to get rich first. And in order to accomplish that, those Xiaoping started to divide up the land among the farmers. So there were no rural community anymore. Each household were to farm their own small piece of lot, plot. And uh, in the urban area, many, many state-owned enterprises were sold to private capitalists. So the Chinese society was really, really disintegrated. Right, there led a lot of popular resentment and a lot of corruption and the gap between rich and poor became bigger and bigger, just like US. And uh, crime rate go up, prostitutes, drug abuse, uh, all these bad things, which were eliminated by Mao during the during the 30 years uh, time, returned to Chinese society with the windings. So that's what happened.
0: And I wonder also, uh, as you're describing that this change in policy between Mao Mao and Deng's policy, uh, you talk a lot in the book about the uh, officialdom culture and villagers' habits of submissiveness, so. Not, ha- not having power, not being able to stand up to local officials, that's challenged during the, the Cultural Revolution and, and it empowers villagers. How does that, today, how do we see the effects of, uh, of after the Cultural Revolution uh, and after Mao as well? Did that go back to the way it was before the Cultural Revolution after Mao or has it still been uh, more empowerment for villagers?
1: Uh, you know, the reason why we had a, a counter of officialdom before the communists came, came to power, is probably because the, the officials controlled all the power. They could, see, they could do many, many harm to the to the villagers. So they can, they can kill you. They can take away your houses. They can break your family. So the Chinese farmers, in order to survive, they learn how to, uh, to protect themselves and their family by submitting themselves to the officials. So, most revolution started to rebel against that kind of culture, right? And they want to make uh, the common people workers, farmers, as the master of the state. I would argue, yes, in theory. The Chinese government built by the by Mao and the Communist Party is a people's government. And their general policy was uh, based on the people, common people's interest. And uh, Mao, when he was alive, had a political campaign almost every year to fight official uh, abuse, corruption. And that, of course, is very, very empowering for the common people. But at the same time, the, the, the officials were not happy. The reason why Deng Xiaoping was able to succeed is because he knew the officials, right, were not happy with the most policy. And they wanted the old way, as far as the officials concerned, they want to have the power. They want to be able to do whatever they want to do. And uh, that's what happened actually. I I think after the Cultural Revolution, I want to see all the impact of the Cultural Revolution was was eliminated. But 100,000 Red Guards and the people who used to challenge officials in Chinese society were sent to prison and were fired. So the Chinese society kind of return to the old days. The official has the dominance in Chinese society now.
0: I'm curious also, just continuing on this point, uh, the perspective that you have as someone from uh, the rural regions of China and the perspective that we often get in the West about the Cultural Revolution is typically from an urban perspective. So how do you think the divide continues to exist in the narratives of the cultural revolution between uh, urban and rural, this urban-rural divide, uh, and the different interpretations of the cultural revolution between the urban uh, cities and the the rural countryside?
1: Uh, I don't think that it's it's, it's fair to just see these urban-rural divide. I think it's more elite and a common people divide. I think in the urban area, the workers who are the majority of the Chinese society in urban area, they were very, very happy with the cultural revolution and the workers were empowered as well. And uh, what you were talking about is the urban elites, officials and uh, intellectual elites, professors, those were the people who was resenting against the Cultural Revolution. I don't think they were really, really, it's not because they, they were not convinced. Some of them were educated by the Cultural Revolution. They already reconciled with the fact what China, try, what China try to do. is good for China and good for them as well. Is the change of the social climate. Don't re- encourage these people to Air their resentment of the cultural revolution, but these people is very very limited very small number the majority of chinese society right well where were very, very, uh, in agreement with most policies the cultural policies right make uh, make uh, empower power call speak up to ask the official to work with the farmers or workers right and uh, I don't think that itself that's is a problem. It's after Mao died, when Deng Xiaoping became powerful, he wanted people to denounce the cultural revolution. It's a, it's a forced uh, response. It's not spontaneous. A very small number of people who are resent, resent against Mao, but the majority was really, really uh, change of time. They would change with it. When the Chinese society changed, they changed with it. So the workers, the farmers, were still, I think, cherish the Cultural Revolution practices even today.
0: That that's kind of the last subject I'd I'd like to talk to you about is the legacy of the Cultural Revolution to this day. How is it remembered in modern China? Uh, what are the long lasting impacts? So we talked about the industrialization and the changing nature of rural life, but what do you think the memory of it is? And what do you think that the impact when it comes to Chinese political economy is uh, for modern China?
1: Um, I think uh, the Chinese, uh, the reason why China doing very well, let's put it this way. The reason China is doing much better than the rest of the third world countries, I think much better than even the, 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 the developing developed world, right? U.S. I think U.S.D. we losing steam. Is the reason because the cultural revolution? Is a culturally trained a generation of empowered workers and farmers, and uh, these people, even though they were not in power but they were very important for Chinese society. They have a lasting impact as far as uh, educating others about what happened during the cultural years, about the common people had the right to speak up. And uh, it's also, in a way, the officials, even though they were trying to denounce the revolution, but they also at the same time fear people can rise up again right to change them so their actions were kind of limited uh they were not able to do as what they could in other societies so i think the contribution impact is will be lasting i think uh, exactly because the revolution uh empowerment for the common people and for their for their workers and the farmers I, I I'm very very hopeful for China for Chinese future, and uh, there are a lot of lot of development in China. You can relate to the cultural policies and the practices.
0: Well, Professor, thank you so much for for taking some time to uh, talk to me and to answer some questions about it. Uh, the book is fantastic, and I'm I'm working my way through it, but. I really appreciated uh, you getting to answer answer my questions and and getting to see also the long lasting impact of the cultural revolution even today and and the impact of Mao's policies is very uh very inspiring to hear from you so thanks so much
1: you're welcome thank you yeah thank you all right bye. Ha- have a great day bye you too.